This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Want to become the sort of developer top rail shops like ThoughtBot fight over? Join Upcase today to get the pro training, insider knowledge, access to ThoughtBot developers, and a community of like-minded learners you need. Hone core skills like Vim, Tmux, Git, and Rails by visiting upcase.com slash half off to get 50% off your first month of Upcase. Let's get that junior out of your title and start leveling up today with Upcase. I'm recording now. Check one, two, one, two. One, two, three, four, five, six. Everything is working fine for once. Thank goodness. Hello, you're listening to Tentative, a podcast about digital product design and other things. Uh, I'm your co-host, Reda Lemadin from sunny Stockholm. I can still say that. And with me is uh, the IE browser testing guru, Mr. Kyle Fiedler. Hello, Kyle. Hello. How's it going? Yeah, I, th- I think we're past the point of uh, like noobs. Now I think we're not novices. No- novice? Is that, does that make any sense? What's above a noob? We use apprentice journeyman master. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, let's talk about that. So for people who don't know what we're talking about, it's a way for us to describe your level at a certain skill. And basically you're either in a... Pro- like, so first you're, you can be not interested in something and that's like the lowest. Oh, well, let's start there. <laughs> I, I can be good at something and you're still not interested in it. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I mean, we do that so that when we're on sales calls for certain technology or uh, certain design stuff, like we know what people are interested in and we can hopefully put people on projects that they want to be on. So there are a bunch of technologies and skills that we have certain client types that we've seen over and over again. And you can be an apprentice or you can be nothing at all, which is you're not interested or you don't know anything about it and you don't want to know anything about it. You can be an apprentice, which means... Apprentice means that uh, I guess you, you want to learn the thing but so basically, you can't mentor other people. You can't coach them. Uh, to me, that says we can't book you on a project. Oh yeah, that's right. You're to bill for. You're not uh, billable. Yeah. A journeyman means that you feel confident in that skill, but you don't feel like you can take on an apprentice. Yes, exactly. And a master means that you feel very confident in that that skill. And you feel confident enough to teach someone that skill. So to take on an apprentice of that skill. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, how do we get to this point? By talking about how we're no longer uh, uh, apprentices. Now we're journey journeymen. Journeymen? Yeah. We're podcasting journey. Podcasting yeah. isn't one of the, the skills. No, there. it's not. We should add it. That's like, kind of bullshit. Yeah, we should add it. Like we're This has been hard, hard won. Yeah, and, and, and we're investing our time, so we definitely should get something back. At least I want to have a title of like podcast master, you know? <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds good, yeah. you know? I, I do web design, and I'm also a podcast master. We can change your, your title from design director to podcast master. Yeah. 
As long as it's not a webmaster, I'm, I'm okay <laughs> with that. Mobile master, actually, that, that's something I would be interested in. <laughs> master of mobile. <laughs> uh, titles are all kind of nonsense. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, webmaster is not a title, though. It's a job. So one of the things that you wanted to talk about today was how we're masters at browser testing. Uh, you are a you master. See, <laughs> do you see that, that transition? Yeah, I I, seriously, you deserve uh, the title of, of master now. It's like, no, no, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, but I think the, the real master of browser testing is you. You have this reputation of being the Internet Explorer guru. I, I don't know why. But apparently, that's that's what people think about you when they think about. I think that's that's not true anymore. I think that's only true for some of the older the older folks, yeah. the folks that have been at Thoughtbot for a while. Yeah, that was a long running joke. Yeah, I I have that feeling. So because I've been for a while now, so you're still. Whenever I open IE, I see your face all over it. <laughs> that's a good thing. I like it when you see my face. Yeah, that's why I don't open it that often. <laughs> um, but let's start with this. Do you like browser testing? Like not in like in the, in that scale from not interested to master. Where do you put yourself? I would say that I'm a master, but like I don't consider it anything that I've liked or disliked. I've considered it part of the design process. Yeah. Right. So it's just another step to make sure that your design is best viewed by everyone that that's yeah that's hmm uh if you look at it that way then you can say yeah but to be honest i don't like doing browser testing the reason is i expect so i i am i try to use reasonably implemented features so i don't go crazy with css3 or 4 stuff that's not implemented anywhere but chrome and as a counterpart I, I would love to not have to do browser testing or at least like heavy browser testing. I might like open a browser or two just to check a bug that I have someone told me about. But I try such a prima donna. <laughs> <laughs> do you write code that works well in every browser all the time and never have CSS bugs? No, that's not true. <laughs> but most of the time, the issue doesn't have to do with the code itself. It's with some quirky implementation thing that some browser decide to to mess up. So I I don't like being the one ha- having to do that sort of work. Uh, is I mean, it's part of work, I agree. It's part of the design process. But at the same time, I don't enjoy doing it because it takes me out of my comfort zone of using the tools I use. So like say you're used to Chrome, then you know how you know your way around DevTools or Safari DevTools. But if someone asks me to check out something on IE, I'll have to get used to how IE works and I can't, like how to inspect stuff in IE and all of that. So Do you remember when IE didn't have an ex- inspector? <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. There was a there was an app like there's a thing you could use that renders it in IE and still shows you the code. I forgot the name of that tool. Firebug? Yeah, the, Firebug is... I thought it was only Firefox. Does it work with Internet Explorer? There was a web implementation, I believe, so that you could like have a bookmarklet 
And you could click on that and inspect things in IE 6 and 7. And When did they come out with the inspector in IE 8? Was it 8? I, I guess. was yeah, I think 7. Either 7. 8. 8, I think. 8. Yeah. Let's dial this back and, like, what issues are you running into? What are you doing that, that you're finding that you have to do a lot of testing? Yeah, okay. So let's start with this. First, some browsers are really hard to get a hold of. So this is like number one. Uh, and I know you're thinking of IE, but actually you would be surprised if, if you know that actually it's harder to test older versions of Safari than to test older versions of IE. And I had to test something on Safari 8, which was around, like, what, a month ago. And I had extremely, uh, like, I, I found a lot of trouble to get that to work because... First, I, I asked because like Safari is coupled with OS X. So if you want to use Safari eight, at least that's what I think. Uh, it would you would require Yosemite. Otherwise, you can't. As far as I know, you won't be able to run it on El Capitan because it comes usually bundled with the OS. So it's extremely hard to go say like try something on Safari seven or, or six. So there's that. IE also requires a lot of setup. So, like, you can use VMs, but the way Microsoft has that setup is that you you download like a six gig, six gigabyte VM for each version, for each version slash Windows version combo. So, you want like IE eleven on Windows eight. That's a six gig. You want six or anyways. It's not it's not always six, but it's we're talking gigabytes of of stuff that you download and and you set up and. It takes a little bit of if you want to test on all IE versions. So we we typically don't test below nine right now, and that number has been going up every year. I guess each year we add a version. Maybe next year we won't be doing IE nine anymore, but still it requires you to have three or four VMs for IE. And now they have so there's ten, there's eleven, and there's Edge, which also you need to be running. Although Edge has pretty good support. Overall, so I guess you can get away with not testing as much on on Edge. But so there's so what I'm trying to say is that the setup part is really annoying. Safari and Chrome also are they they release a lot of versions now, so that you don't you don't know what you know. It's like we're talking 46 or 47 on Chrome and like 34 or whatever, or maybe more. I don't know on on Firefox. So it's it's a little bit hard to keep track of what versions added what features. And I guess that's the point of this browser, right? Like they don't want you to worry about versions anymore. So setting things up is terrible. And also the process usually is manual. So you have to copy the URL and paste it around browsers. And if, I mean, you can use something like Browser Sync, which does take care of a lot of things like syncing the interactions and stuff. But still, it's a lot of work. Are you one of those people that is against browser stack? What's oh yeah? So tell me more about Browser Stack. Is it's a website, right? Yeah, it's a website that you can create a VM tunnel, and you can choose which versions of browsers and operating systems that you you want to test on. For me, generally, it does a fairly good job. I know, like in the past, there were times when I I'd find I'd get bugs reported that I couldn't find on the like actual in in the their vm but other than 
that for like wide sweeping layout stuff, it it's always done a fairly good job for me. Yeah. And does it work fine like in terms of like speed and all of that? Yeah, it's it's super quick. Like I tried it out a long time ago and it wasn't very quick and it wasn't like I said, like I think even layout bugs I was finding reported that weren't in browser stack. So I I did what you talked about. I actually have a blog post about it that I used, you know, a bunch of VMs. There's a setup script that makes it super easy to set up IE. But like you said, you have to download a ton of, you know, yeah. Each each version of Windows that you need and then each version of the IE that you need. And then you have to like they're on a free upgrade thing. So I had to every 30 months or 30 months, yeah, every 30, 30 days, days, you have to reset. Uh, reset it, which was pain. Yeah, I saw that too. And I was like, nope, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it, that, that to me is a huge pain. I know some of our offices will have like, a Windows machine to test out. Yeah, I don't mind that actually. You can get a Windows laptop for relatively inexpensive. Yeah, but but still, you're stuck to the latest version of Edge. Even if even if it's a browser, if it's sorry, even if it's a PC, you still can't run any IE you want because that one also comes bundled with with Windows. Yeah, so I've had pretty like recently um, the last couple projects I've worked on, I've used Browser Stack and I've had pretty good success with that. The last project being uh, a project that the majority of people were using uh, Windows and Chrome. And it's funny to see the rendering difference between Win- uh, Chrome on uh, Macintosh versus Chrome in Windows. Yeah, there, there, there will definitely be differences, especially in terms of typography and and aliasing and all of that stuff. It, yeah, it's pretty I mean, different. they're all OS level stuff. So like yeah. the typography looks slightly different. Colors too. Colors. The the scrolling, this interface was like somewhat similar to, to Trello. So we had scroll bars inside the actual interface. Did you have horizontal scroll bars? Mm-hmm. That, that's, I'm disappointed. <laughs> Go on. And... The scroll bars in Windows actually take up space in the browser. Yeah, they do, I guess. Whereas in Mac, they don't. Um, even in a, like a responsively designed site. On Mac, you can either turn that on or, or off, but by default, it's even, off. So. No, even when you are showing the scroll bars, they don't affect the, oh, the layout. Oh, the layout. All right, I see. Yeah, definitely. There there are going to be always differences like that. But I think I think sometimes this makes me think that maybe the way we design is wrong because we if uh, the presence of a 5 pixel wide sidebar is going to screw your layout, then maybe you're doing something that's not typically meant for the web, like some complex grid layout or some complex UI that's not that doesn't lend itself to uh different Browser implementations of layout in, like you know. Are we gonna get into why you hate the web? Pretty much. I don't hate the web. Again, I I I don't hate the web, but I think it's misused misused a lot. Complex UIs typically don't work well cross browser, and if designers believe that simple is 
best, they should apply that to their actual layout and information architecture. Try to keep things simple. Even if that difference is between browsers, it still would be usable and, and clear. And I think a lot of these issues are just come down to people doing some crazy stuff. Like, here's my fixed header on top of my fixed sidebar with my floating footer that actually is overlaps uh, my fixed sidebar when the width of the window is below 630 pixels. Hopefully, when you do this, you're aware that this is going to break sooner or later uh, on, on some, some browser or another. So try to keep things simple. Uh, I try to use very few like media queries, typically one. So I have one layout, fluid layout that works for everything, and then one ultra mobile layout, like really compact. And I try to make layouts that actually work with this setup that don't require me to have more than than two or two media sorry that one breakpoint um, and yeah and usually it works fine if you're making like simple simple uh, simple UIs N- not just the UI but also like the interactions I, you don't seem to agree <laughs> uh, no I mean I I think as long as you do test it you can do whatever kind of layout works yeah well, but you can't you can't possibly test it in every setup. No, but you can look like you said earlier that that we only require it to look good in IE nine and up. Um, I tend to look at a lot of the sites that I'm doing in IE eight and IE seven just to make sure that everything isn't just really busted. Do you use Flexbox? I do sometimes. Yeah, I do like Flexbox because if it breaks, stuff will just, uh, it will be ugly, but it will still be visible. Yeah. I mean, as long as in each one of those, everything is visible and usable, um, I'm not, I'm not looking to like duplicate the experience. Yeah. I think, I think if, if you're looking to get the same experience from Chrome on a, El Capitan to Chrome on uh, like Windows, you're, you're not you're not going to fully duplicate that no matter what. Yeah, and and there like maybe you would be better off making one application if if you really want like a tailored experience, a desktop app. But I feel like you if you go in with the expectation that each each browser is going to interpret your website differently and it doesn't need to look perfect in every browser that that it's it's okay like lose some of that control yeah yeah i'm okay with losing control to be honest especially for things like form elements i really don't bother trying to make them look different because first if i manage to get them work fine in chrome i'm sure as hell they will look crap on on firefox or even like safari so form elements is one of those things I try to tweak the least. If I'm going to tweak, it's going to be maybe a check mark or something, but not drop downs and select boxes and all of that because you end up doing a lot of hacks that not only will break stuff on other browsers, but they might make it not usable at all. Like you might do some negative margin to include some sort of like background thing on a on a drop down and that might overlay the the entire thing on some older IE. 
so I try to, to be honest, I think as long as you stay away from, from hacks, I think you're, you're pretty good. Like, I think the biggest issue is we try to use things in a way that's not what they were meant to be used for. So negative margins, things like messing a lot with floats, also like doing a lot of um, Z-index shenanigans, that sort of stuff tends to break cross-browser. And as long as you stay away from it and you stick to the what the spec was intending for that feature to be used for, then it's fine. Because in the worst case, you would get a not not non-beautiful layout, but it would still get your stuff working fine. Whereas if you do a lot of shenanigans, you might actually your mind your negative margins might be interpreted differently in some other concept, uh, sorry, in some other browser, and your element might be out of bounds or or some weird thing with 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 overflow or you know there's a lot of small things you can just keep messing around to get some specific thing to work, especially since like centering in CSS is awesome is awesome. So my my rule of thumb is keep things simple, both visually and also on the code, so that things degrade gracefully. So if we didn't do weird things like using floats for layout, which they really weren't meant to be, do you think that we would have things like Flexbox? <laughs> That's a good point, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean you, you also made a grid framework based on using floats for layout. Did I? And no, that was you. That was all you. I've never... <laughs> what? Well, no. I, I, I just work here. Uh, yes, I did. And floats are not meant for layout. All right. Well, I'm not saying that it's, that it's not good as a <laughs> learning experience, but I'm saying that I am no longer willing to do that sort of thing. Uh, maybe someone else will, but... I if if you're saying that we got flexbox because we were using things in the wrong way then I mean there is there is a a grain of of truth in this but at the same time I think we, we it, it it's really hard to say that we got flexbox because we were we were doing that sort of stuff because like the spec is usually always evolving they are, but they're they're always they're evolving to the needs of the people, and we're pushing the limits of the technology. Like I would go back. Uh, do you remember when you couldn't use border radius, and you had to hack it so that it either had an image <laughs> or four images? Yeah. So that each corner would have a radius or be rounded, yeah, especially that's... in the web 2.0 days where everything had to have you know, a little gradient and a border radius. Those had to all be images, right? So, like, we, I think part of the reason that we have border radius and linear gradient and radial gradient and, like, multiple background images is because of people doing those hacks and putting in four divs at the end of a container so that they could absolutely position four rounded corners. Yeah, I do agree that those things contribute in in shaping the spec. But at the same time, you should think about it from a product point of view. Like if someone is misusing your product, doesn't mean that you have to cater to their needs. And like the web is sort of a it's a solution to a problem. We need to share documents over the wire. And 
documents or data in general. And the web does a really good job of that. And the HTML and CSS particularly do a good job of showing that data uh, regardless of what system you're running on. So there's no discussion that this is this is like what the web is supposed to be. Now when you start building stuff that's, that's you know, like start building apps, here's a chat app, here's a, a bug tracker app, here's this app, here's that app, then you're, yes, you're pushing the boundary of the, of the technology and you, you might get some good stuff from there, but then you, you will end up with more stuff and more, more stuff always means more, more like bugs, more cross browser issues. And now like one, one, one example of this is, actually this is not an example, it's probably a counter example, but a lot of uh, like uh, web apps work best in, I think we talked about this before, work best in Chrome or only in Chrome. And that's because Chrome has the highest number of, of features across browsers. It just like has a lot of stuff that people want to use. And my worry is that if we just keep moving that direction, at which point we would realize that this what we're doing is wrong in the sense that it's not everything needs to be on a network. Like stuff can be saved locally, especially like you know, there's a lot of talking about privacy and, and, and human rights and all of that stuff related to data protection. And at some point, we, like, I guess there's some point where we realize that, yeah, I mean, the web was not meant to, to be a, an operating system where we just like shove all of our software on it and, and we, we basically use, the only app we use is the, is the browser. And we're headed to that direction. I mean, some companies want to move to that direction more than others, especially those who is, like sell ads and stuff, because that's where they like they want to have all your attention all the time. But I think I went on a tangent. This is not related <laughs> to browser testing at all. But <laughs> to go back to the topic, uh, yes, it's fine to misuse things with the hope that you will get the a better alternative. But at the same time, you should be ready to spend hours downloading shit ton of browsers and OSs and stuff. Or use something like Browser Stack uh, if it works uh, well for you. But it, Browser Stack won't tell you what's the problem with your page. You still need to figure out why my hack or my layout didn't work on this browser. It's a trade-off. Yeah. I, I think I've just worked, I guess on enough websites where I know when I'm going to run into issues with layout and type and stuff like that and when I won't. Um, and so usually like when I'm opening up browser stack, I have a good idea already of like what the site's going to look like in an IE7 or IE8 or I9 or Firefox on Windows. Like I have a mental model already, and do, like, do you have an image of every IE in your brain. I can just tell you any URL, and you can actually render it and describe in, it. Yes, you're you're not a normal human being, as far as IE is concerned. I don't know. Come on, all, all it takes is just a lot of building things and testing them, and and like anything else, it's just practice. I agree. Well, what version? So you're doing IE nine right now? Like that's like the lowest version you check for. Like I said, I I usually check below that, but I'm not. I'm I'm looking at IE nine and making it 
as similar to Chrome and Safari and Firefox as possible. And then anything below that, I just want to make sure that the app or website, you can get the data or input data as needed. I agree. I don't check uh, 6, 7, 8. Honestly, I don't check 9 or 10 or 11 either. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't tell this to clients or to anyone who wants to make me work on their website. This podcast won't go out to anyone. If you're listening and you're planning on making me work, me especially work on your website, you should keep in mind that I won't test it on IE. (laughs) Uh, My colleague Kyle will. He's a nice guy. So he takes all my websites and he tests them on IE. I, I, I trust browser makers to do the right thing, so <laughs> uh, that's not an excuse. But actually, what I was testing this week was SVG filters, and I was surprised, actually, by how well they're consistent across different browsers. I Obviously, 9 is not, IE9 it was not in the target browsers, but 10 and above and all like all, almost all recent versions of uh, Firefox and Chrome... And even Opera worked pretty well. So I'm actually surprised how well some features are implemented uh, across browsers. Yeah, I I think we're we're in an age where even like the re- more recent versions of IE, every every browser is fairly consistent. It's not like back in the IE six days where IE six would render it completely different or render s- certain things differently than there was no Chrome than Safari and Firefox. What's the other one that used to be pretty popular? Netscape. <laughs> I've never developed for Netscape, though. So I used to test on Netscape. I wasn't doing web back then. But, yeah, I, I agree that it's, it's a lot better than it used to be. There's no discussion about that. But now we have also, like, mobile phones. So you have to, to test on Safari. Safari, iOS, iOS, uh, sorry, Chrome, iOS, and then uh, Chrome, Android. And I think we stopped testing on the stock Android browser because it's no longer supported. Even though in one of my projects, I got one client reporting a bug because someone senior at the company used to use an older Android phone with the old stock browser. And those are extremely hard to to actually test on because I tried to download the Android SDK and try to run a simulator or something, but I couldn't find any that was still running the stock browser. Like Chrome like was the default browser. So yeah, mobile testing is also really hard if if that's something you need to do. Do you do mobile mobile testing or uh I'll run it through browser stack too. They they have some mobile browsers in there as well. And just check to make sure that they're getting the mobile styles. I get, I see. Mobile actually is easier, at least if if I only care about one or two versions, because you can just open a simula- simulator and open your local host URL, and you can see how it looks. Have you done yeah. that before? Or? Uh, I don't think I've ever downloaded the Android simulator. Normally, I try to open it up on my phone. And that way, I'm actually having more of a real experience. I, for me, like I don't, the simulators don't give you a great full experience because you're not holding it. Same thing yeah. goes with browser stack, I guess. So for me, like to really test it, like I, I open it up on my phone and make sure like the touch targets are big enough and 
But before you get to that, you need to make sure that your header navigation works fine. or Like even before getting to the details like that, you don't test like layout as you're making it on a br- mobile browser or you, or you keep resizing the browser. Is that what you do? <laughs> yeah. Are you one of those like, you know, like, like uh, there's like an animated GIF of uh, someone just resizing the browser and it, I think there was, it has a caption of like the everyday life of a d- web designer. Just like slide in the browser to resize it. Like, sorry, like dragging it from the side. And uh, Safari actually nine has a nice uh, has a nice shortcut to do that. I f- I found it. I found out about it by accident. I think I hit Command Shift I or something. I don't remember. Any page you're looking actually just ends up being uh, put inside like a sort of like a, a mobile frame. Uh, and you can change between devices and stuff like that. And it's, I think, one shortcut away. So that's good. You can do that with Chrome as well. There's there's like a s- semi-simulator for mobile, different mobile. Yeah, devices. yeah, I've seen that, but I think it's hidden in... in can you can you get that without going through the the dev, the dev tools? I like don't with, think so. Because this one, I found it by accident. I wasn't looking for it. I wanted to, uh, I think... Like open my history, and then I ended up using that mobile browsing, like uh, not mobile browsing, but mobile preview mode. That sounds um, like something that I would do in Vim. It's just accidentally yeah. hit a wrong keyboard shortcut and be like, "Oh my god, what did I do?" <laughs> yeah, I do use shortcuts a lot, so there's that. So yeah, and I, but this is not what I typically do. I typically open both Chrome, and I usually test on Chrome. Uh, but I actually am. I'm also be using Safari more and more as my default uh, browser. Uh, no, sorry, as my as my development browser. Uh, I really like the new development uh, developer tools on on Safari. They're not. I mean, if you're used to Chrome, they don't add much. But I like the UI. The UI is a lot better. Like the the icons and the tabs and just like the overall layout. It feels like they put more thought into the design. So I I use that and Safari has got really good in in general like in just rendering stuff. It's it's still not not as cutting edge as Chrome, but most of the time I'm not doing anything cutting edge. So I I use Safari and I I usually open the simulator and I use browser sync to just keep the two pages in sync. And I just and then I just like write code, save and I just see how it it, it looks both uh, on at the same time on the simulator and on desktop, so uh, I've been pretty happy with that workflow. Sometimes I open Chrome and Safari and iOS simulator, and it refreshes across all the three. And if you click a link on one of them, it does that automatically for you on the others. So I've I've been quite successful with that workflow. And do you, do you still do like mobile first, or did you move away from that? No, I still write. All my CSS mobile first. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, I still do it most of the time, but sometimes I do like do the desktop first, and then later, like I don't add uh, media queries for mobile, so I just refactor it so that it becomes mobile first. But the process itself wasn't mobile first, if that makes sense. Like the code is, but I I I, I refactor it after I'm done with the desktop. Yeah, I think the there's two different approaches, like mobile first design, which is like designing and building mobile first, and then mobile first CSS, which is just like making sure your CSS is rendered 
for mobile first. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so like you could design for the desktop and then go back through and just wrap all of your layout in um, yeah. media queries. Yeah, to be honest, I'm not as I'm not as dogmatic about mobile first CSS because sometimes the mobile layout requires more work. So for instance, navigation typically requires yeah. more work on mobile because you have to add this menu button and some animation and some stuff to show the menu. So I put those in a media query and then I leave the other stuff. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think what I told someone recently is like, I do, I, I wrap everything in a media query so that I don't have to zero anything out. So like if, if in the mobile, like in your, your example of navigation, a lot of times um, there's a menu like a drop-down menu kind of navigation for mobile, and that adds in a bunch of extra styles. So, so what you're saying is true. Yeah. Like you wrap that in a max width, so that like once it gets to the desktop, you don't want to say revert all of those styles on a desktop. Yeah, yeah, right. I yeah, this. Uh, I typically go with an approach of like whoever, whichever. No, sorry, like whichever media query wants to do more stuff needs to be in its own block. Not media query, but like if mobile needs more styles than than uh the bare minimum, then I put that in a media query. And vice versa. If desktop needs more styles than the bare minimum, I put that in media queries. And so if you get rid of all media queries, you would still end up with a usable site on both mobile and desktop, except it won't look best on either. It's just gonna look like probably a vertical list of stuff. Right. <laughs> Which is, I don't know, it's, it's not great, but uh, a lot of websites actually still look that way. If you actually know, if you disable CSS, but no one does that anymore. <laughs> I don't know, can't you do that on the new iOS? Oh, you can. I actually, I'm working on a content blocker. And it's, it's crazy because you can block any CSS selector. So you can block ads, of course. You can block JavaScript. But you can also CSS display non-anything. And while working on it, <laughs> I, CSS, I CSS displayed non uh, the header element. And I, 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 I just like, you know, started feeling sleepy. So I closed my laptop and I went to sleep. And the following two days, I started wondering why a lot of the articles I was reading didn't have a title. And I was like, "Wait, <laughs> did did Medium change their 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 layout? Yeah, they did, but it's weird that they took off the title." And I was like, uh, "I don't know what's going on here." And uh, I I was you know like I'm I'm very busy during the day, so I don't really bother too much. Like I try to think uh, a lot less about these things. And then like by the end of the day, I realized that wait, something is definitely wrong because my RSS reader wasn't showing titles either. And I was like. Oh crap! I was working on a content blocker, and I see it displayed non all headers. So there goes my. I mean, it didn't. I didn't. I didn't lose anything, but it was a funny thing. So if you if you can see it display non anything, what would that be? What what selector would you go for? I'd just do the star selector. <laughs> yeah, that's a smart move. Can, wait, so that can that be an app? Like, can you release an app with just yes. applying uh, custom CSS to every site? Not custom CSS, I guess so far. So custom CSS is possible. You can do that. And there are, there are already ways to do it. Not, not on iOS, as far as I know. But um, actually, let me think. 
Yes, even on iOS, I think you can you can change CSS if you want, but you need to release an app for that. What you can do with Content Blocker is hide stuff only, uh, as far as I know. Uh, on Safari for desktop, you can do more. Like you can you can hide stuff with the Content Blocker, but you can also change the default CSS. And by the way, uh, I think la- last time you mentioned that you can add a default font. Uh-huh. Or default CSS, and that's true. I found I found that on 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 Safari. Uh, I haven't tried it out yet, uh, but if you go to uh, settings and I think advanced, there's like a style sheet option, yeah. uh, where where you can do like stuff. So that's actually really good. I will I will probably try to make uh, HTML font family Apple system so that it uses San Francisco instead of Time New Roman, Times New Roman. Uh, so I haven't tried that yet, but I'm hoping that it, it will work. If it doesn't, I can write an extension, so it's, it's not a big deal. Uh, the same is, is true in Chrome. I found this out after we talked, that if you go to Settings and click the Advanced Settings, there's a Web Content section, uh, and you can customize fonts, uh, and you can set the standard font to whatever whatever you want. That's yeah, that, That's how that's, I changed it. That that's gonna be a lot better for me because uh, I if I just change the font to San Francisco, it's gonna make a lot of the places I end up looking at a lot better because they, you know, some people don't bother with CSS, so they just write some HTML. Especially if you're doing something nerdy, a lot of the stuff you will find are like sort of like man pages and and styled like documents. So that that could actually help with that. The one issue I ran into was I started noticing when, I guess this was before bitters, I would start thinking, oh, the type on this isn't too bad, so I can like <laughs> not do anything, when really it was like showing up as times everywhere else. Oh, I see. And you do send that to people, telling them, oh, this website has really nice design, <laughs> only to realize it's your custom CSS. Uh no, I have not sent it to anyone yet. But but there yeah. will be times when I was like, is this is this rendering the default or is this rendering the the type that I want it to yeah. be? So one thing you can do actually in both iOS and Safari is block um block custom fonts. Combine that with a default CSS and then you end up with you can make the entire web one font if you want. Like just block any custom fonts. Like, doesn't it still have to be two different typefaces? So serif and sans serif. No, you can just block not the CSS, just custom fonts. So at font face won't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And that means I tried that on iOS, and it looks terrible. Like because it defaults to time. I, I don't know. I think it defaults to times, and uh, in my test at least. Uh, I guess it doesn't. So basically, it defaults to whatever the site author has in the order. So if it goes to the first one, doesn't find it, it goes to the second, and if the second happens to be times, it will use times because it's on the system. Yeah. If you see what I mean. So what you can do is do do that combined with HTML font family. I don't know, like uh, Futura or whatever important, and then it would make everything in Futura. <laughs> so I mean, you can do that if you want, but I probably wouldn't try now. Yeah, I, it just means that us as designers have to be more cognizant of the typefaces that we're choosing. 
I'm also making the assumption that most people aren't going to go in and turn those off. No, no, no. I don't think so. I think it's very few people who would, and that's 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 okay, I guess. But I like having the this sort of control. Uh, even though I am a designer myself, but I don't mind someone else going and removing the font I picked for that website and using something they like, as long as it's their like their computer and their usage, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I typically don't don't really mind giving people more control, as long as it's not going to be visible to others. You know, like MySpace. <laughs> we talked about this too in the past, giving yeah. users control and. I think it was episode 11, 10, somewhere I don't know, there. somewhere around there. I, I think we should uh, call it quits for today. Yeah, let's uh, call it quits for, for today. Thanks for listening to Tentative Podcast. Uh, you can find our show notes at tentative.fm slash 16. You can tweet at us at tentative.fm. You can email us at hosts at tentative.fm. Only nice things, please. And if you really, really like the show, please rate us on iTunes. Otherwise, you, you can forget about it. Yeah, don't send us spam. <laughs> please don't. All right. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.